This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Salmon. What's up, Brian? Nothing much. Happy to be here as always, Al. Happy summer. We're uh, now in the summer and joining us for uh, the first time in a long time, our old pal, PWI contributing writer, Mike Bessler. What's up, Mike? It's good to be back. It, it has been a while. Yeah, Mike goes way back uh, as far as, uh, you know, who got there first, you or me at PWI? When did I you think start? you were there first. I want to say I came kind of into the PWI orbit around 2009. Okay, yeah. So I started in 07, but yeah, you're one of the people I remember from from way back, including, did you ever do one of the 500 meetings in person? I did. Yeah, I did. So that did was, <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting time. Those were fun, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think Mike minded me uh, saying Mike's had some, some uh, health issues as of late, is uh, working his way through it. Glad to see you. On the men, buddy, we've all been pulling for you, and it's one of the reasons I want to have you back on here. I'm glad to be back, and everybody at PAWI was very supportive. In fact, I, I took some time off. It was the first issue I had missed in like 10 years. I was just, yeah, wow. It just killed me to, to be away, but but it was it was much needed, and I appreciate that. You know, while well, you mentioned why don't you mention some of the things that you, you do for the magazine? I mean, you've got uh, plenty of lifting that you do for every issue. Yeah, I write uh, Before the Bell, which is uh, the first, I always tell people the first four pages after the uh, the editor's uh, lead in. Uh, so typically some media reviews, uh, we've expanded that. It used to be just one page. Now we try to get two, three items in there every issue. Uh, some humor pieces like, like Talking Trash, uh, we heard that. Uh, one to watch usually. And then we had some random things in. If you, if you ever... Uh, if you ever check that out and, and look at it pretty closely, you can tell that I grew up reading like Cracked Magazine and and uh, publications, fine publications like that. Uh, so that's where I get you know draw upon for for some of the humor pieces. It's it's a really good time. I'm I'm happy to do it. Fe- do a feature piece every once in a while. I used to write the indie roundup. Uh, wanted to give that to one of the younger people, so to speak. Yeah, Captain George. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, that's that's really been my thing for a, a very long time now. Before the bell. What what uh, have you uh, wrestling related for before the bell? Uh, what have you read or watched lately? No spoilers, I guess, of your next review, but anything fun. Yeah, I, I've been getting caught up on um, AEW and, and TNA. Um, you know, I spend a ridiculous amount of time watching very old wrestling. So yeah. anybody who knows me in any time situation like this, I always bring up my my affection for Pafo's ICW and early Memphis stuff from the 1980s, particularly Memphis 1982. And I mean, there's there's no sense in, in trying to deny it. I mean, that's what I watch most of the time. I, I literally watch episodes that I saw when I was like maybe eight or nine years old. Yeah. YouTube has changed everything. I can pull those up whenever I want. And it uh, it just pulls all the levers in my brain and reminds me of that. That's still entertainment to me. Yeah. Um, 
Mike, yeah, so have, have you heard that uh, WWE, there was a story that WWE may have acquired the ICW library, I guess, from Lanny Poffo or before he passed, or that it may it may go up on Peacock? I mean, I don't know if there's yeah. any truth to it, but it's pretty cool if that happens. I, I, it would be. I'm really curious about that um, because I think so, I, it's always been kind of a like, it, it almost feels like kind of a private thing to me. I don't know about you guys, but. You know, I, I grew up at, at a time where a lot of people were getting out of wrestling, and but kayfabe was still very much alive uh, where I lived. I lived in the Memphis territory, um, so it always felt like you know this this really was something I was really really into, and a lot of my peers were not. And when I go back and watch some of the ICW stuff now, it still does it for me. I'm not sure if it's going to do it for for other people who've grown up in in different eras, but the history there as far as the the people who came out of icw and, and memphis who were kind of sparring a lot of times the history there and just seeing some of those guys right as they were starting out is is tremendous so i hope that it happens and i hope people appreciate it because i'm still you know i'm still working off of old grainy vhs tapes and right. a little bit that i can find on youtube that's that's the challenge of um now peacock what was the wwe network is that um, all this archival content that means everything for some people, right? It's it, each of those audiences are, are relatively small, right? So, um, you know, I grew up in, in, in New York in, in the 80s. I love that 80s, early 90s era of WWF it means nothing for people mm -hmm. who are 10, 15 years younger than me, grew up on the Attitude Era. The, the the older stuff, the San Martino era, the WWWF era means nothing. Not that that doesn't mean anything to me, but I don't have that connection to it, right? Right. Because I didn't live through it. Um, so, you know, I, I think like uh, um, the fans who get very nostalgic always get frustrated when so much of, of again, what was the WWE Network focuses on, on this new content. And WWE has always sort of seemed sort of slow to really embrace the old stuff. But the reality is, the you know something like an icw uh again for for people like you who grew up on it how great imagine that and like you know great quality uploaded on mm -hmm. w network realistically how many people you know yeah. are going to get that excited about it it's going to be like a, a, a tiny tiny audience boy way to rain on his parade out <laughs> I'm, but, I'm surrounded by like two like kings of old school here i'm, I'm like the young buck here. <laughs> you're right you're right they do need to from a business standpoint, they need to focus on the new current stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I know people who are on the inside there and people who have worked on the digitizing and everything. And I mean, the fact is that what you're saying is true, that the, the interest is very small compared to the other stuff that's on there. But, you know, I think the way they look at it is it just adds more sure. yeah. potential clicks, more potential yeah. views. It's always good to have. It's not a huge priority, but it does. And, and also, I think it, it, it is nostalgic for people that grew up with it, and I think that's a big, big part of it. But what I also think is cool, and it does happen, I've heard, I've, I've talked to people, where you do get people who maybe didn't get exposed to it, maybe because they were in a different area or maybe because they're too young, and they actually will occasionally get turned on to something, you know, that they didn't know about. Like, I, you know, I mean, I didn't grow up in, like, Arkansas – but I'm obsessed with watching Mid-South Wrestling episodes on Peacock mm -hmm. because it's something so different and and right. and not what I was used to growing up and everything. So there are people that, that love that and the quality. You can't 
I mean, we all got so used to just the like fourth generation VHS dubs and yeah. like looking through the static to see, you know, mm-hmm. and now it's like a, an embarrassment of riches to the point where I'm so spoiled. The other day I went on YouTube because WWE doesn't do much with their Florida footage. And after the Graham family episode of Dark Side of the Ring, I was like, I want to see some Florida stuff. And I went on YouTube and it's phenomenal. I mean, the the episodes, the matches, the storylines, it's great television. But a lot of it looks very bad, like quality wise, compared to what you can find on Peacock with the old stuff. And so I sort of get spoiled like, oh, I wish this looked better. Where I wouldn't have even thought about that, you know, 10 years ago. Some... uh, um you know degradation in quality uh for for these videos though i think even adds a charm to it because that's yes. how you would have watched it at the time with your rabbit rabbit ears so there are some <laughs> very like prolific youtube um uploaders uh who have stuff up there clearly off of a vhs good enough quality commercials uh in it i mean that's like oh, the, yeah. sometimes they're the, better sometimes the commercials are that's the best, the best. yeah you know that's the funny thing you think about how much effort growing up we we put into like taking the commercials uh out of those recordings and I now when i pop in one of my own vhs tapes that i recorded that has the commercials in it it's so great right? you're right because i i, I used to cut out all the commercials and now sometimes when i watch those old tapes i'm like oh, i wish i had not done that mm-hmm. because i would love to have gotten a chance to see those commercials again Absolutely, yeah. That's where the, the nostalgia happens. Uh, I I, just, I I wanted to say I just recently reviewed uh, Wrestling from the Heartland Volume Three for uh, I think the issue that's out now, and that is uh, basically I think it's gosh it, it's got to be over four hours of footage I think from from around the nineties uh, includes some guys who are big stars now and some guys that were, you know, mostly mid carters in their career. And, and, and a lot of it was just kind of fixed camera, one angle, uh, not great audio, but it was terrific for me. I like going down those rabbit holes reviewed, uh, some documentary about a promotion in, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, last year and just kind of fell in love with this promotion. I didn't even know much about it or the people from it. There were a uh, Chris Jericho had wrestled one time in it, which was, uh the kind of the the claim to fame for the promotion but i ended up going back through and looking for as many matches from this promotion as i could on on youtube and it's it's fun to discover stuff like that so i hope people find that in 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 this stuff that's still being added and the mission of wwe has always been to, to be bigger it's like the galactus of the wrestling universe uh so someday it's going to consume us all i I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's one of the fun parts of, of this job is is um, discovering and exploring new stuff. And we're about to get into that in, in a real big way uh, with the PWI 500. I think uh, we're coming up on our first meetings next week, maybe. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it is that time of year again. Uh, before then, we got a couple more issues. Uh, I think this is uh, – we got a new issue. This is the latest I have. But I think the newest one at least is up digitally now, the July issue – uh, of PWI, and uh, I just pulled it up, and it's got Seth on the cover talking about the new World Heavyweight Championship. It's got Trinity on the cover, who I interviewed for the Hot Seat feature, and uh, who was the third person? I forget. Uh, but anyway, another great issue. You don't want to miss it. PWI-online.com, your one-stop shop for all things pro wrestling illustrated. We used to talk a lot about, you know, get the print uh, subscription if you like having the magazine in your hand or get the digital subscription if you want it faster, more convenient. Now we have a bundle package. You can get both. So uh, best of both worlds. Why settle for uh, what does it say? As little as $45 a year, you can get 
every issue of PWI, both digitally and print, um, head on over to pwi-online.com. To do that, we uh, again, I mean, not that it's ever not a busy season, but uh, I, Kristen and I have started working on the PWI poll, which is a pretty heavy lift every year. Uh, then we get into the 500. Then we get into the women's 150. I think it's 150 this year. The tag team list. Uh, so, yeah, really getting into kind of the, the meat of the year, the tent pole issues. You don't want to miss any of it. Head on over to pwi-online.com. You can also pick up PWI merch. You can subscribe to the, the weekly newsletter, which is completely free and uh, so much more. So please support what we're doing. How many years going on strong are we now? 40? 44. 44 years. Wow. Um, so, yes, and uh, still really enjoying it. And uh, please uh, give us a look. Uh, lots to talk about, guys. So uh, let's jump into it. Uh, don't want to spend a whole a lot of time on this, but because Mike is my old school TNA buddy in these old PWI uh, 500 meetings, Mike would be the one pushing for like <laughs> some obscure TNA wrestler to be uh, number one or in the top 10. I don't know how, how closely you're watching these days. But uh, some news with, with Alex Shelley winning the world title. I think that caught a lot of people by surprise. They just put the thing on Steve Macklin, and it felt like, you know, they were getting Macklin uh, up and running to be um, the, the new big star. And this doesn't necessarily mean that they're stepping away from that, uh, but I don't know if it signifies um, what it signifies. You know, did they had second thoughts, buyer's remorse on, on Macklin? Did they see something or not see something? And Alex Shelley, kind of an unusual choice because on one hand, you know, he very much is TNA and sort of the best of TNA, right? I mean, like he was uh, – him and, and Saban were one of the bright spots um, mm -hmm. during some of the worst years of TNA. He's got 20 years in the company, never won the big one. The flip and, and a fantastic wrestler. He talked in that promo last week about all the guys he had a hand in training, and and they really are a, a who's who a top of top stars, including Okada. I think he talked about. Um, the the flip side of that is, you know, he's one half of a tag team wrestler. Um, I don't know the of the two. Saban's been the one that's had more of a singles career. Had a, a brief run with the the world title and impact. So it just kind of caught me out of the, the blue, you know, if they're serious about going all in and giving a, a big push, I'm, you know, he's a fantastic wrestler getting up there. I just, I, I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about how this reflects on, on impact. What do you think, Mike? I, I'm not sure. Uh, on the one hand, I, I really enjoyed seeing that. Um, it was, it was entertaining. I could tell that there was a lot of emotion behind it. Uh, if, if I'm being, you know, hundred percent honest here, I, I have strayed from TNA the past, uh, past couple of years. AEW has taken a lot of my attention, but the, but the, but impact, you know, the products changed a little bit. I found it harder to pay attention to it. Um, I think that some of this might be maybe trying to capture some of that back. And I see, uh, a lot of buzz from my friends. I have a couple people who are really impact diehards right now who uh, maintain that it's the best product around. Um, now, I, I know that's all personal preference, just like me loving, you know, ICW and preferring that. Um, but I, it looked like, A, they're, they're really trying to capture something again. Uh, they already have the build set up with... Um, uh, Magnus uh, coming back and, and challenging Shelly for the title. Um, 
So I can see that, the, and, and I think that's a better move, you know, for, for Nick Aldis also uh, versus what he had been doing with, with NWA. Um, one of the things, and I hope this doesn't seem like a foul to some people, but, you know, when I watched that match and that footage, cause I didn't watch the whole, the whole show, it just really said something to me of how small that crowd and that setup was where they're at these days. Yeah. 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 And that's, I had that same, that same kind of thought, maybe smaller than some ROH shows that I had been to yeah. in person back in the day. Uh, now I did prefer studio wrestling, you know, when, you know that's, that's the, you know, the Memphis stuff was, was all in a studio, but this felt different. It just, it felt so small. Uh, and that, you know, that made me a little sad to tell you the truth, because I remember even in, even in the, in the spike TV days, they had a decent, it was a shrinking crowd, but it was a pretty rabid crowd. Can't even really hear the crowd in some of this. So I know it was an emotional moment for Shelly, but to not have that, that huge crowd reaction that you want to see in an emotional title change, um, it, it, it affected it a little bit, at least for me as, as a home viewer. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of one of the quandaries that, that they're in, and, and it might explain somewhat wh why they go with an Alex Shelley, because on, on one hand, um, you, you want to distance yourself from, um, in, with this conversation we've been having for years now, distance yourself from, from the, the, the stench of the worst of the Dixie Carter TNA uh, years. Uh, on the other hand, you want to associate yourself with the fact that at, at – um, at some point and for many years they were pretty big league right i mean they the the tv production um um package the arenas the audiences it looked like a very much more of a major league uh a product from a a production standpoint from an uh an audience standpoint than it does now uh it feels like an indie right it feels mm -hmm. like kind of a televised indie so a guy like alex shelley who's got some name recognition has respect, um, never got the world title, and has this connection to the legacy TNA in, in a positive way, kind of like with the AJ Styles of, of the world or Samoa Joe. Um, there's just not that many of those guys around anymore. Saban's another one. Shelly's got some size over Saban, so that makes some sense. Uh, but it also, you know, I'd be lying if there's not part of me that thinks that, like, really, this is where we're at now, putting the world title on, on Alex Shelley? You know, I don't know. You had any thoughts on it, Brian? Well, I mean, it's it's sort of like we've talked about a lot of times here. This is a company that's been it's a survivor. It's been in a constant state of flux. You know, it's always like kind of changing form, changing shape. The impact wrestling of today is is a, such a completely different animal from what it was at various different times in its history. I agree with what you're saying about the presentation is so different now that it doesn't feel as big time as it used to feel. But I mean, I, I kind of feel, and while I'm not the hugest impact fan in the world that, and I've said this before on here, they've sort of found their place in the wrestling ecosystem, at least right now. I don't think, look, here's the thing they were at one point, the number two promotion in the industry, but they were never, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. They were never at the level that, like, say, an AEW is as the number two. It always felt like they were the number two by default because there was nobody else, whereas what's happening right now is much more of 
a head-to-head, even though WWE is clearly in the lead. It's more of a head-to-head competition. So, I mean, putting the belt on on someone like Alex Shelley, who's a great worker, who's been there a long time, who has a, a, a lot of support, um, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, they're not it, – maybe it doesn't set the world on fire, but I don't think that that's their, their goal right now. In fact, what, one thing, and this is, you know, a little nitpicky, but that promo he gave on the Impact after winning the title, uh, and and I don't think he said it. I, I The fans said it, I, but I don't know if they were echoing something he said, the whole you deserve it thing. And, you know, that's what feels a little bit like a gold watch. Like, well, you've been here so long. <laughs> might as well, you know, give give you the, the world title. And I don't know. I mean, look, he, he beat Macklin. They, they, they put him over cleanly uh, on Macklin, so no, no controversy, anything like that. Clearly, the the end game is still Nick Aldis, I, I would think, which makes a lot of sense because Aldis has a ton of credibility. Um, and now Aldis is going to challenge Shelley for the title at Slam Reversary. All right. I mean, I'm sure it'll be really good. You know, a- after the, so. the, yeah. the face-off with, with Macklin and um, Aldis at, uh, what was that, Rebellion, um, I, I, I thought that's the match they'd be building to. So maybe... Aldis doesn't get it here, and they extended some to Bound for Glory. I mean, that's supposed to be the the big show. So if if you're building to a big big Aldis title win, you'd think they'd do it at Bound for Glory. And also, Aldis has gone now like totally heel. Very whereas it wasn't quite sure what you know he was sort of on the fence. And so I think that might have also played a part in this kind of decision making because if you know they obviously liked what they saw with what he did in the NWA and kind of reinventing himself as this sort of like. Not over the top, but like old school, subtle, like Nick Bockwinkle style heel mm-hmm. world champion. Like that's maybe that's what they want to replicate. And so they're kind of setting the table for that, essentially. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think Nick has always had it. He's always had it. Um, but I don't think that there's been necessarily kind of like a big break for him. I know I know that it was. That, that at least where the NWA started, it was it was a pretty big deal. But uh, I think it would be really intriguing to see him on a bigger stage, like in an AEW or, or WWE worked up to the top of the card. I, I'd like to see that someday. I'm not sure if it's going to happen now that he's kind of embarked on this, you know, the title chase again in TNA. It's not going to impact, sorry. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, but I, I'd, I'd like to see him him give it, all he's got to a big audience yeah you know he's still a relatively young guy even though he's been at this at, at so long i don't think wwe I, I mean i think they'd give him a look in as much as he's got some size and some speaking ability but but i'd be surprised if he's even much on their radar in terms of his mm-hmm. accomplishments aw i could see them giving him um a look i mean we'll talk about this in a moment but AEW will bring in anyone. I mean, they've mm-hmm. got to have like the most bloated payroll in, in, in the world. You know, they're just adding and adding and adding. I just saw what's his name? John, John Morrison is is now a uh, part of the team. So Johnny Elite. Uh, Thank you very much. Is it Johnny TV? I think they're calling I him Johnny right? TV. Yeah. They call well, they called him Johnny Elite when he did a couple of quick That's shots right. for them. They brought yeah. him in as Johnny Elite, but so but yeah. I Another hell of a hand, but it's just to say that like, man, they the uh I shouldn't say they don't they don't turn anyone away, but uh, they they love to add payroll. So I could certainly see him o- over there, and I could see him getting some TV time as much anybody gets uh, TV time. But this is a good step for him, I think. You know, I think Impact will be more 
they'll make more use out of what he built in the NWA where he was great. And, and Brian, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but the reality is that that was a relatively small uh, audience. It gave him a platform to kind of create this character. And now you, you should take it somewhere else. Um, let, let's talk about the, the number two, uh, uh, Brian, uh, AEW. They've had a, a very busy uh, few weeks and, and, and uh, more to come with forbidden, Bo- forbidden door uh, this weekend. That might've already happened by the time. Uh, people are watching this, and uh, right after that, you've got Wembley Stadium, and you got uh, All Out. Um, it's interesting because on one hand, there are all these uh, indications of, again, it being a, a busy, exciting time for AEW. On the other hand, there's all kinds of metrics that show that this is not a hot product um, uh, right now, and uh, not just metrics, but I feel like there is a... Um, there is a a growing negativity among some, um, you know, about TNA. Some of it is even the video game. I mean, it's just AEW. Right. What did I say? I'm sorry. (laughs) Mike's rubbing off on you. Sorry. It might be a Freudian slip. Uh, uh, But, but uh, uh, yeah, the, 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 the AEW video game and um, uh, the, the, the product, it just, you know, I, I, I think um, Tony Khan, um, is is being second guessed more than ever uh, before. Anyway, in the middle of that, we get the return of CM Punk, one of the biggest stars in in all of wrestling. Came back last week in Chicago. Um, you know, for for and I've criticized him as much as as anybody for just being kind of a miserable guy um, to to be around to work with. Uh, but it is undeniable that this guy has got a star power that nobody in AEW uh, has. Uh, it was immediately uh, apparent, but the irony of it is that I, I think what, what makes the guy such a star is this confidence and this bravado and this kind of like anti-authority personality that in some ways only makes AEW look worse because he's out there kind of crapping on, on AEW. I mean, he, even now, I mean, there, he, after being gone for nine months, he's out there taking shots at uh, the Young Bucks, uh, of fans of the Young Bucks, you know. Um, and getting big pops for it. So uh, I don't know. It, it, it's all kind of a, of a mess right now. You know, what, what's been your observation, Mike? Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure where to start with that. Uh, I, I've been a big CM Punk fan for a long time. Uh, I, and I also want to preface this by saying I'm acutely aware that CM Punk doesn't care about my opinion or, or anybody else's opinion for that, for that matter. Uh, but I'm going to share it. Nevertheless, um, it felt like, you, you know, that old mentality, that booking mentality where you don't want your fans exhausted from cheering by the main event. Um, this comeback, like how many times can you come back and how exhausted am I for kind of cheering this situation? That's what I'll call it. Um, and, and I remember early on being in kind of disbelief about the media scrum texting back and forth with somebody at the magazine like hey you know wouldn't it be the you know the biggest work in in history if this was all you know if this was all staged and it wasn't real and getting getting this back kind of bursting my bubble no it's real and these these are real problems and um i found that disappointing uh i know that that happens in workplaces sometimes and i think 
you know, people sometimes want, want a band to get back together and they're guys that truly hated each other by their time together. Probably think about some of the terrible jobs that you've had and you had maybe some good times with people and did a few things. But if somebody came back to you 20 years later and said, you want to get back with these people again? You'd be like, no, I can't stand them. Right. I, I still can't stand them. Um, this is starting to kind of color my perception of, of what's going on. Uh, and, and so many backstage reports about people not being able to work together, refusing to work together. Um, it just didn't have the pop that it did last year for me from the promo to even the match. I hope that it gets better. I hope that there are some swerves and some unexpected things ahead, but I'm not sure if there are because the egos that are involved are so bruised and they seem to be pretty fragile. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, what kind of grade do you give uh, uh, Punk's return, both in, in, in presentation and, and also impact and, and how he did, how he looks, you know, some criticism about maybe cosmetically not in, in the best shape, given that he'd been away for some time? He's CM Punk has never been a body guy, though. He's never been one of these jacked up guys. I mean, yeah, you could notice it, his body was noticeably different, but it's not like you know, he wasn't like Ryback or something where yeah. like if he came back looking like that, you'd be like, what has this guy been up to? I mean, I don't think it was that big of a deal at all. Um, you know what I've said before, the, the kind of thing that he's doing now and that he did with the promo, it's unfortunate that it has come now out of a place of reality and there's all these things that happen under the bridge. But I feel like he should have been doing this from the word go, from the minute he came in. That should have been his persona, his angle. I'm too big for this company. Tony Khan begged me for a year to work here, and I finally gave up because he was annoying me. You know, you got a bunch of whatever. Like, like I think that should have been his his role all along. So, I mean, in the long term of it, I like what he's doing. It's just too bad that it's it's so real that's the problem because there's weird thing there's weird dynamics going on there's no doubt that he's good for business in my mind at least i, I mean i think you gotta i'm one of those people that says you gotta set your differences aside even even if it's just for a finite amount of time and work with the guy i just think it would be dumb not to yes he's a jerk yes he's arrogant he's also a really big star and he's good for business and a lot of really big stars are arrogant jerks um, you know, I could name them. I, could, I don't want to, you know, bury people, especially that are no longer with us. I can give you a laundry list of legends that were arrogant jerks and are beloved and are considered legends to this day. But it's weird because what you see happening is he's. Um, what, can you hear me? Yeah, no, I was pointing at uh, my Ultimate Warrior. Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> I, I think thought you were pointing to your ear no. like I can't hear you. I oh, think you fit the bill. What, what you see happening, though, is now everybody was saying, oh, my God, this audience, they don't realize what's going to happen when Punk goes out there. They're going to kill him. They're going to hate him. They're going to they're going to boo him out of the building. And, and, but what's happening is he seems to be turning the audience against the elite. Yeah. Now, I know that Omega and the Bucks have their fans. They're always going to have their fans. But they are now coming off as a bunch of wimpy crybabies in Absolutely. this whole equation. And the fans yeah. are starting to turn and, you know, it, it's this cr like, I don't know. Do they want that? Uh, do they care? I, I know that Omega and the Bucks do not seem to be happy. I don't know how much of this is a work, but you know, they no show dynamite. They did a pre-tape so they, they could still be a part of the show, but they, they, they said they weren't going to be there. 
it, it seems to be like a civil war. It's almost like what's happening with Dynamite and Collision is almost like what WWE for years has tried to create with Raw and SmackDown, except it's real. Right. And I don't know if they can control it. It's just there's so much chaos right now. Yeah, it, it's so interesting, and I, I was going to make the same point, and, and I know the thinking of, and remember, they, they even at one point reconsidered where they would um, hold Collision, the first episode of Collision, whether or not Punk was going to be there, and, and the thinking was, well, if Punk's there, we got to do it in Chicago, and I get why, and, and you saw why. Um, the, the flip side of that is that he was so over that I think fans who even were kind of down on Punk and, and maybe were um, siding with, with the elite and the Bucks um, in, in this whole civil war, watched him and you kind of got sympathetic to CM Punk. Like, yeah, maybe he's right. Maybe he's been right um, all along. And and w- whether he is or or he's not, it, it is the case that he made um, the, the elite. And, and, you know, they're just not they're not just a, a few other wrestlers. They are the heart of AEW, right? I mean, they are they are founders. They are executive vice presidents. And they re- really, really uh, in, embody the spirit of of aw and you know you use the word wimps i think there are words that are even harsher than that for what you know there was the one line he talked about the only thing softer than than fans or 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 the wrestlers who uh you root for and it i mean it was a home run of a line and the kind of thing that really deflates i think a lot of aw fans so yes on one hand punk feels hot he feels relevant uh but he's doing it you know, at the expense of, of AEW. And, and it's, it's such a fascinating kind of uh, dynamic. And, you know, it's interesting when Punk was away for all those years and then AEW started up, the um, uh, the, the, the thought, I think, the popular opinion by so many was, uh, this guy would be a perfect fit here, right? I mean, here's this company that's like anti-WWE, anti-authority. It's like wrestlers first, that kind of thing. And he goes over there and in some ways he's the worst fit you know, in part because he's so curmudgeon uh, And I don't even ne- necessarily mean this in a negative way. I- I'm the same way uh, uh, in-, in a lot of ways. Um, but I just think he's got zero tolerance for sort of like childishness right. and immaturity. And he sees that he's surrounded by it. Um, he's, I think he's also way more of a WWE guy than anybody thought. Yes. because and Including him. Yeah. He came in there. And clearly he was comparing it and going like, what am I doing here? Like, right. this is amateur hour. Even like, now, it was almost... you know, what, what was the problem? He just came. He talked about sell, selling out Madison Square Garden. Right. You know, he's not doing that in AEW. I think he had the same feelings that Cody had when I think Cody said, yeah. like, what am I doing here? I got to go back where I belong. Yeah, I, I don't I'm not saying Punk is going to go back to WWE, but he had that prima donna attitude that comes from being a top WWE guy. I think I do I, think that his time in AEW makes it more likely that he will return to WWE, right? You know, because I do think he gets to do that comparison and and uh, realize, yeah, w- w- one of these is very major league and the other one uh, is not. Yeah, Mike, you agree with that? Yeah, Al, you, you made some really good points that uh, it, 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 and I'm again coming back to things, to, to, to how things personally resonate with me. You know, one of the reasons that I really liked CM Punk as a performer is because as an individual, as a person, he brought these elements of his personality. Kind of, he always talked about the old Steve Austin advice of like amplifying your, your, your real personality. I, I believe I heard him talk about that a few times. And this, this character he plays is for a large part who, who he is. But, you know, most of my friends are, 
very progressive. Most of my friends are into, you know, comics and pop culture and, and music. And most, most of my friends are, are anti-authoritarian or are, are anti-authority. Um, but they're not, to use some of your words and, and Brian's words, they're not childish. They're not impetuous. They don't, they don't kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's what's really kind of wearing a little bit for me. Now, I do want to touch on your guys talking about his physique and about the idea that he's never been a body guy. One of my favorite wrestlers of all time, no lie, is Phil Hickerson. And if you don't know who Phil Hickerson is, you can Google him. Definitely not a body guy. Uh, so I, I've always enjoyed the kind of the real person, the real physiques competing in the ring. So I, he, he doesn't get any points off for that. But this has got to get better sooner or later because it's I, I agree that he could probably very well end up back in WWE after clearing some of the rust off. But he has lost some fans over the years. He has lost some momentum because of it's it's not just a work we, we know deep down that when mjf cuts some of his promos and when he does you know crazy things at at cons and stuff like that that that's probably not really the way he is but punk i think what you see is what you get and yeah, that's going to be a problem real life mjf yeah you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> all, all, all the stuff that you know uh, uh, mjf with, with all the little nods to vince mcmahon and and wwe you know for for show as part of the gimmick that's really CM Punk. CM Punk's really kind of doing that over and over again. And it, and it's sort of like, on, on one hand, his star shines brighter. But again, it's kind of at the expense of AEW. I mean, he, the, the, the more big he, league he looks, the more Little League he's making uh, AEW look. And uh, it, it's a real problem. And I also people, feel people like... Oh, sorry, MJF off. I'm sorry. I just want to make this point. People pulled... I think AEW pulled M, uh, MJF back a little bit when he was cutting some pretty harsh promos that, that really that really took some of the luster off off of the company. I don't think you can rein in punk the way that, that, that MJF can be reined in behind the scenes. I also think that now I'm getting the sense that, you know, I don't know if this company in, from a booking standpoint is capable of really capitalizing as much as they should be doing on having him come back like this. Because again, it's like, I hate to compare the two companies, but WWE glaring exceptions notwithstanding is very good at really capitalizing on situations and 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 if you look at what already the, the presentation with punk is bizarre to me first of all you know the there's been no interaction with the elite other than him running them down which makes them look terrible and it, and it so if you can't have gotten these guys on the same page then don't even don't even tap the hornet's nest because ideally what you should have had is some kind of a response. And I know people were hoping, I don't want a fantasy book, but for example, you could have had them come out and do a run-in on his match at the end of the mm -hmm. show, you, you know, as a response to what he said. That's what you do if you're booking wrestling, not if you're just, you know, having wrestlers hate each other and airing their dirty, dirty laundry. And now you've got a situation where like, I understand it's the forbidden door pay-per-view and the whole angle of it is new Japan and AEW, but now you've got his first pay-per-view match back and he's buried in a tournament. In tournament. Uh, uh, it, just it just feels, feels like, like they're, they're wasting the, the potential of this already. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'll, I'll say that AEW is, is something of a mess right now, you know, and there's a lot to like, I mean, just in, a, a wealth of talent and embarrassment of, of riches is when it comes to, to talent 
Uh, but uh, such a lack of focus and, and discipline. I was watching that episode of um, Dynamite Wednesday night, and there was in the middle of the show like a little uh, a two-minute segment where they went over like uh, all the matches and segments coming up over the next three shows. So they were promoting Rampage, Collision, and Forbidden Door. And I counted, I think, like 20 different things that they were promoting just rapid fire, pow, 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 segment after segment. And, and in there, like, it was nuts. just thrown in there, and Okada versus Brian Danielson. And you're like, Okada versus Brian Danielson, this is gigantic. And we'll hear from this one, and this one, this one, and then on, on Collision will be this. And, and it's just, right. it's such a, a lack of focus and just so much going on. I mean, I mentioned it somewhere along the way. I guess it's something of a spoiler, but by the time people are hearing this, uh, John Morrison shows up, uh, and it's just, throw more and more and more and more onto it and it's just it feels like in an undisciplined mess the kind of um the worst of of the indies and um a a lot of it is not very good i mean at at its best it's fantastic i mean some of the best rosters in the world are in AEW, but they're again that that indie sort of mentality of you know let everybody go do their thing and it just doesn't feel like there is somebody keeping um, folks in line. Uh, the, the the CM Punk uh, conditioning thing, a, a minor point, but but I, but I'll say there are other guys in that company getting some pretty big pushes. Who I'm sorry, but they they do not look major league in in terms of their physical. Uh, I've talked about Adam Cole on here. I know Adam Cole. I, I mean, last time I saw him, it, it blew I feel my like mind. I could beat up Adam Cole. I'm not, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it, it's um, <laughs> it, it, don't look, try. I, he, I won't try. <laughs> but, I, mean, <laughs> I know. He had I think I have more muscle definition than he does. You're probably not not wrong. I mean, like, and and I know, it, and and people talk about body shaming and all this stuff. And I know he had health issues. And, and all that, but you know, your uh, it is a cosmetic business. He's getting um, you know, an angle with the world heavyweight champion, and um, he, I'm sorry, he he does not look major league uh, uh, right now. Um, and it, it, does it make him less of a fantastic performer or a wrestler or a showman? No, but well, you also uh, gotta point out the fans do love him there. I mean, he does yeah. get this. It boggles my mind to a certain degree, but I mean, he gets this godlike response. They, it, it's like you know, Jesus Christ is walking out to the ring when he's out there. They're hanging on his every word, yeah. and and he's I great. Just, you know, he he is. Yeah, he's but good. He doesn't but, look the part. No, he doesn't. And I, but 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 there's a certain segment of the fan base that that does not care. AEW fans, a lot of them, they really don't care about things like that. I got killed on twitter last week when i was you know you're talking about these the throwing everything at the wall the the finish of dynamite not this week's one but last week's where they had 14 different run-ins and Takeshita shows up and 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 eddie kingston shows up the leader there everybody's turning on everybody there were people that loved it and thought it was the greatest thing ever and i even said that i said there's two kinds of wrestling fans the one that the ones that just saw what i did and thought this is the greatest ending i've ever seen and the ones who were like this is a complete and total mess and i don't even know who's feuding with who and it was like a barometer because i had people coming at me from both sides but it's true and and you know the the i think one easy way to explain this is that AEW um is the kind of wrestling that uh dave melter likes and and i have nothing but respect for dave melter i think he's he's brilliant he has forgotten more about wrestling than than i will uh, ever know He's obviously a fan, and, and he criticizes AEW um, 
uh, as well. Uh, but it is niche, right? And and uh, maybe to a flaw. I don't know. I mean, I, I, look, they've got their audience. They're doing well. Uh, Collision did, I think, 800,000 or something like that. Some people are looking at it as a really good number. Some people are looking at it as a really bad number. You know, it, it's the kind of number that could be interpreted uh, different ways. Um, it is south of, of a million, but I don't know how realistic it is to get north of a million on a Saturday night on a, a product that's not super hot. Uh, but w- whatever the case, it was the return of CM Punk. You're not going to have that moment again. And so it would suggest that's sort of the ceiling. Um, so we'll see where it goes uh, from here. The fascinating thing is, again, at the same time, they, they're, they're about to pack Wembley Stadium. They're about to do Okada versus Brian Danielson, which is, again, for a certain kind of fan, the dream match of all dream matches. I'm super excited about uh, seeing that. Um, so there's all these kind of mixed signals about, is this a hot company? Is this a really cold company? I don't know. Um, let's talk about that other company, uh, WWE, um, you know, the, I think it's a lot safer to say that they are still pretty hot, maybe cooled off a little bit from WrestleMania. But every time I think that the the bloodline angle is is starting to kind of like approach its expiration date, they do something to freshen it up and heat it up. And that angle, you know, I feel like every week we're talking about uh, this, Brian. It was one of those pull the kids into the room, pull the wife into the room with, yeah. with, with um, uh, uh, Jay making his decision at the end of SmackDown. Just so good. And 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 you think about like, you know, the Road Warrior pop or, or whatever, like those those kind of like generational pops that you're you're lucky to see once every 10 years. WWE's had like a half a dozen of them um yes. just in the last six months off of this angle, and they keep on coming. And um uh I, I think the writing is fantastic, but I I'll go back to this again. It's the performances. Everybody's so great. I mean, this really is a masterclass on um, um, promos and knowing your character and authenticity. And I'll say it again, Jay is the MVP. I mean, Jay is just so awesome. His timing, all of that was so perfectly executed. Uh, the whole uh, you're out and I'm out to super kick Lance perfectly. Roman goes down like a champ. I mean, it just, it couldn't have been yes. This uh, when he went down the second time, that was that was perfect. Yeah. I also got to say too, Heyman Excellent. is oh, just. Yeah. <laughs> I if mean, it was an Oscar is right. Everybody would be nominated for, if you, for lead actor, supporting actor, all of it. It's true. If they ever gave Emmys for wrestling, Heyman would have to get one. I'm talking about like when he's standing there and the pride on his face when Roman Reigns is putting him over to the Usos was just absolutely priceless i thought he was going to start crying you know it was phenomenal and yeah i'll be the person to say what i've been saying for a couple of months now this what they're doing would be even better if roman reigns wasn't the champion anymore there's no need i mean like that's the one thing with all this is it's it's just now he's got three belts (laughs) for some reason and he's not defending any of them it contributes to it would contribute to his whole world crumbling because it is crumbling but yet he's still the heavyweight champion so it's sort of like this weird thing where he's got this belt that he doesn't really defend so much and it it's not really serving the same purpose that it was serving before at least in my opinion but but yeah but i mean it overall it's great stuff still mike we know now money in the bank um the civil war usos versus roman and solo which is a gigantic gigantic match uh but not a world title defense 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got SummerSlam uh, around the corner. You know, there, there still is this feeling. And, and I think it's a, um, a testament to the, the quality of storytelling that they're doing that you keep wondering, like, what what is the what are they building toward? What is the mm-hmm. climax here? And, and it's not 100 percent clear. I mean, I guess. There's a lot of ways to go, right? You could do a, a Jimmy Uso match. You could do a Jay Uso match. But w- what do you see as kind of the progression of this over the next few months? Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure. I like where it's going. Now, before I get too far into this, I need your guys' help for a minute. This sure. picture behind me has been driving me crazy. You see how <laughs> this gives you a window into my personality. I cannot take it any longer. So is that better? Is that decent? Does that, does that work better? It, it, was, it was never a problem. <laughs> I, I had not even noticed it before. And and uh, that is what it's like to be married to me. So now you know. Um, <laughs> in fact, your head is covering most of it. Yeah. You can't even see well, it. Well, I, I was trying to for a while. I'm like, I can't stand looking at it. Now that. I'm um, going to be like super aware. <laughs> <laughs> um Boy, uh, the the um, uh, one of my one of my Facebook friends, a fellow wrestling fan, uh, build you know put put over. I hate using industry lingo, but I'm going to use it anyway because I'm a mum friend. Uh, put really put this over as uh, he he said the best wrestling storytelling ever. Now I'm not sure about that. But it has been pretty incredible. You guys were joking about it. You have to think about it because I I, I think that's something that we've all thought about. At the very least, you thought, when's the last one that's been this good? And people talk about Triple H and Batista. This is better than that, I think. Um, So so now you're going back 20 years. Austin and McMahon would be a candidate for me. Yeah, you think about the old days, though. Um, I've already talked about Memphis a lot, but, you know, used to be like a feud would begin just over a promo. Somebody's out at the desk, says something the other guy doesn't like, or or you think you want my belt or something like that. And then you're off and like months later, you don't remember what the feud's about. Uh, I remember one of my favorite WrestleMania matches, underrated WrestleMania matches was uh, Billy Jack Haynes versus Hercules. I can't remember. I know it's a weird one. I remember it. I remember it. I remember being intrigued by the The battle of the full Nelsons. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. And, and, and the match was not that great of a climax to tell you the truth, but I remember the build to it. This is so many light years away. The, the storytelling, the writing, and even in that, what was it? I think what's on YouTube is basically just kind of a five minute, less than five minute boiled down segment. Um, But everything that unfolds in that five minutes is, I hate to sound over the top, but it's pretty magnificent in terms of storytelling. Whether you're comparing that to movies, primetime TV, um, Heyman is incredible. I love seeing him there with two belts while Roman has the belt over his shoulder. And I think, you know, Brian, to your point earlier, that has become part of the, again, another term I don't like to use because I'm not an insider, but it's become part of the heat. He's not really defending those those titles like people uh, would, would have expected from a fighting champion. And and that keeps it, it they're, they're, I, I see what they're doing. I, I don't want to say they're dragging it out. They're extending that. They're making this part of the storyline. I really want to see how it goes. I was not a big Usos fan for many, many years. It just didn't excite me when they, when they came out. Now it does. Now I'm paying attention every time. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if um, a, a solo match is going to be the end of this. Um, 
But a solo I, match? You mean a singles match, or do you mean a match with solo? A, a singles match. Sorry, okay. I'm not sure that a singles match is going to be the end of this. Um, I hope it doesn't get dragged out to the point where it ruins the storyline. That would be really hard to do, but it's still possible. Um, but I, you know, if if we get another month or or, or more out of this, um, I, I'm I'm fine with it. It's it's um, it's captivating. Yeah, I, I wonder if they they kind of restock the bloodline. You know, do we get kind of a bloodline 2.0 with I don't know Jacob, Jacob Fatu? Yeah, that's the, the one that I was thinking of. And Lance yeah. on Hawaii. I mean, yeah, they sure. could do. Yeah, I mean, can you call up uh, the Rock's daughter from NXT? You know, um, and and you know, we still at, at at one point the the be all end all was Rock Roman Reigns, and now it feels like that's so kind of like forgotten, mm-hmm. and um, we all. It, it's not better than this, you know, but, but it could, you know, when you talk about a climax, that would be the climax of all climaxes if they can get to that um, organically uh, uh, or, or maybe we're seeing the end of this. Maybe this civil war Usos versus Roman and solo is kind of the end of this. Mm-hmm. And even if it does drag on, I mean, cause that happens in wrestling. They don't know when to stop something. They beat it to death. People, you know, in in future years, people remember the best stuff. Like people that weren't around during the Attitude Era. I mean, Austin McMahon went on forever. They turned Austin. They did all these dumb things where they continued doing it beyond probably when they should have been doing it. Um, You know, people don't talk about that part of it. Mike, I know you'll appreciate this, but everybody loves and I love Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman. It was beautiful. It was one of the greatest things that's ever been done in wrestling. But it also had these later stages that people don't talk about. Sure. And Andy kept coming back, and it was like diminished returns. And he the NWO, stop. right? Right. The NWO yeah. is a great example of that, where you're like, you know, it was good for a year and a half, but it went on for like twice that long amount of time, where you're going like, all right, when when are these guys going to lose? When is this going to stop? When is somebody going to, you know? That happens. Uh, it's not good in the short term, but I think when we look back on it, it'll just be talked about all the great stuff that they did with the bloodline. Honestly, yeah. people love reunions too. Uh, you know, how many times did oh, Evolution right, yeah. get back together? Did uh, DX get back together? Team, you know, rated our fiftieth anniversary. We'll see a bunch of gray-haired old Samoans out there. You know, yeah, yeah. Throwing, throwing the number one out. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt about it. The Bloodline 2K, 2.0 uh, idea is uh, really intriguing to me because it could go a couple different ways. I mean, you could have a 2.0 team that's a disaster and it requires the old team to get back together or it, or it goes in a different direction or it could just be a, a new team that kind of goes on. There's there's potentially some life left on this. I just I just hope they don't they don't ruin it, but it doesn't see it seems like right now they know that they have uh, you know, lightning in a jar and they're doing what they can to keep it that way. That, that is sort of like, you know, the, the catch 22 of having something so good is that, you know, you're always kind of like on the edge of like, Oh, don't mess it up. Don't mess. I never think going into WrestleMania where everybody assumed, at least I did that Roman was losing uh, the title to Cody. Uh, you were both excited about it, but it was also sort of bittersweet that like, Oh, you know, Roman's uh, reign is, is, is going to be over. And, and ultimately it wasn't, but at some point, yeah, this is going to come to an end. Uh, uh, let, let's talk about that other world title. We're a few weeks into it now. Seth is the world heavyweight champion. Um, already probably has defended that title more than, than Roman has in, in the last year, which I guess was the point is supposed to be sort of like the, the working man's uh, title. 
Uh, uh, Brian, any early reviews for for how Seth is doing? Um, and this program with with Finn Balor, which uh, you know, it sounds like Vince McMahon kind of called an audible last week to to put some heat on it and did that segment with the big beatdown, which I think turned out pretty well and and probably created more interest for a feud that was maybe a little lukewarm going into the the pay per view. The fans love Seth. I mean, I think if, if they were going to do this world title, which as you know, I don't think they should have even done, but if they were going to do it, he's a great person to have it on. Um, I, as far as he goes though, and again, I don't know if this is just my own tastes or my age or whatever, his character, his matches, his performances are always great. His character continues to baffle me because he, I, I still don't understand how he is a baby face. It's a yeah. very strange presentation. I, I think he'd be great either way. I'm not questioning putting the belt on him. It's just every time he's out there, every promo he gives uh, just comes off to me as this is stuff that a heel would say and do. And so it, it's strange booking. That's my one issue with it. But but I think, you know, he, he's great at what he does. And um, the the uh, there's going to have to eventually be a reckoning about this singing of his theme it's song a big drum. it's the new it's what the new it's the new what right yeah. because and and he he loves it he just gave an interview where he was like why would i ever want them to stop doing this and the, the point is the thing is it's great for him but it's not great for anything else about the product and the show and yeah, i TV. think yeah. you're gonna see it more with other people's songs and i don't you know i i think the <laughs> If you look at Adam Cole, I think like 75% of why people love him is just because they want to go like, Adam Cole, baby. Like that's the extent of the appeal of many baby faces in wrestling now is that people just want to sing a song, which is so strange to me. But that's where we're at right now. Yeah. Real, real quick, let, let me ask uh, Mike about Money in the Bank. Uh, we've got the uh, contestants now. Latest is uh, uh, Logan Paul. I I think he's probably a favorite uh, to win it. And one thing that I do like about the World Heavyweight title is that um, your, your sense is that it can change, right? So Seth is right. the champion yeah. now. But I could absolutely see Logan winning, cashing in and beating Seth Rollins for the World Heavyweight title. Or you know, a number of a different, I could see Finn Balor theoretically even winning um, the, the world heavyweight title. Uh, but uh, what do you think about the uh, money in the bank and any favorites? I, I, I think I, uh, I have this awareness that I'm talking about Logan Paul way more than I want to. <laughs> uh, my son is a big Logan Paul fan. I, I really don't know why or why it happened. I know that I have to buy prime every time we leave the house. <laughs> I would just throw um, upstairs yeah, with my kids. And, and I just, I, I hate to be one of those fans, but I was really resentful when it became obvious that he was going to be working some big shows in WWE when all this started. But he's delivered every time. I Great. feel so. It's uh, it's like that time. Uh, what was it? I, I think I think uh, Snooki did some incredible move at one of the one of the WrestleManias. Yeah. I got to cheer for this now. What are you doing to me? But Logan Paul is so over the top. When I saw the money in the bank thing, I'm like, that, that makes sense. There's a, there's a, there's a path there. Um, I do think that we're at a point and, and many people said this about ladder matches or about wrestling in general, that um, 
we have to keep going over the top to get that crowd reaction. And Logan Paul add, adds that over the top element in there. So I hope it works. I hope it's not reckless. I hope it's not just, just this kind of uh, gratuitous, you know, uh, celebrity exposure. Um, but I, I'm going to watch it. I'm, yeah. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to be excited about it. And there's not much that I can do about that unless somebody messes it up for me. I, th- I think he'll be great in it. I think he's a good choice um, to win it. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with him cashing in and winning the world title. Um, I-, I think, uh, and-, and this is off of Bad Bunny having that great match in, in Puerto mm-hmm. Rico, but I think Logan Paul is uh, the greatest celebrity wrestler ever. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I just, they're just doing a junket for the new uh, season of, of Heels. And I got to interview, uh, what's his name, Stephen Amell. And we talked a little bit about this and had kind of like the, the new era of, of celebrity wrestlers. And he talked about how he thinks, you know, he'd like to take some credit for kind of like ushering in this era where they're not holding their nose through it. This isn't Jay Leno or, mm-hmm. um, you know, whoever. Uh, the, the, if you're going to do it, you got to go all in and take it seriously. And and I don't think anybody has has risen to the occasion um, as well as Logan Paul is. Well, Thank goodness, too, because I remember that era of a celebrity just kind of walking in the ring and they give one kind of open handed slap and the wrestler goes down and they've got some magical power because they're celebrities. uh, But 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 you're right. The people who have come in recently, a handful of them have really delivered and they look they perform like wrestlers. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, last thing before we take uh, off out of here, I want to spend a little time talking about the death of the Iron Sheik. You know, when we last talked, uh, talked to Brian, we, we were talking about the death of, of Billy Graham and how he was among the last of that era. Sheik sort of straddles those those two eras. He was kind of that that bridge. Um, but uh, uh, it's always interesting, like you know, what what wrestlers really resonate in the mainstream when they die, and and, and um, which ones don't. And sometimes it's it's for all the wrong reasons. I think it, in the Sheik's case, it has a lot to do with um, kind of the the. And this isn't to disparage him, but but the worst of the Sheik, you know, the the, the drug addicted kind of parody of himself that would show up on Howard Stern and and just mother f everybody and uh, kind of making a fool of himself um but in front of a, a really big audience uh and and less to do with um at one point a, a super talented wrestler performer uh showman uh what's his what's his legacy what's his place in wrestling history he has a few different legacies. I mean, obviously, there's the one that you mentioned where, for better or worse, I even mentioned it when I, you know, in writing about him, he he made himself, or at least the people around him did, he kept himself relevant. He was he meant something new to a whole new generation. Uh, I don't think that was all bad, honestly, all the Twitter stuff. I mean, it kept him out there. And look, it, this is wrestling. And, and wrestling is about being outrageous. So he was good at that. But I mean, he also was a part of, you know, because I wrote the book about the original Sheik, obviously, and there's always these comparisons. And, you know, in the modern fandom, the Iron Sheik completely eclipsed the original Sheik. But he did so not because he was a bigger star, because in his day, the original Sheik was a much bigger star in his day. He was a much bigger draw. He was a main event star everywhere he went. But the thing that the Iron Sheik had over him was the Iron Sheik became a part of this pantheon. The Iron Sheik really benefited 
from the national expansion of the WWF from that era, that golden age era that people talk about the Hulkamania era. He was a prominent part of that cast of characters. You know, he was on lunch boxes. He was on ice cream bars. He was an action figure. He was on Saturday morning TV. He was one of the most memorable figures. I mean, if you're talking about the top heels of that, like Hulkamania era, He's got to be on your top five with people like Roddy Piper and Ted DiBiase. Like he's on that list. He's one of the names that gets dropped in in rap songs when 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 they'll talk, mention wrestlers. I mean, there, there's this cultural cachet that he had that transcended the business to a degree. And also the other part of the legacy, like you said, is that he was the bridge between these two worlds. He came up in the '70s. He was one of those Vern Gagne trainees. He was. You know, he 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 did his time in all the territories. He was big in Georgia. He was he was you know he he did his time in the AWA. He he was uh, uh, in the WWF. Even he had his first run there in the late seventies, early eighties. But then he became like the bridge, literally, <laughs> winning the title from Backlund, the transitional champ, losing it to Hogan. I'm not one of those people who go over the top and say, well, if it wasn't for the Iron Sheik, there'd be no Hulkamania and blah blah blah. I think that's a little bit of nonsense. I think there were many, many competent heels who could have been that transitional champion. However, he was the one who was, so he deserves recognition for that. I mean, he was the bridge from, in in a certain sense, the territorial era of the WWF and the national expansion era of the WWF. So, you know, an important, and I would even, I would go so far as to say a beloved figure for sure. And oh, one of the things that he brought to the table that, that I do think um, made, his uh, uh, loss to Hogan so special was that character, right? Because so much of what they were trying to get over with Hulk Hogan was the USA American. And right. this is like 1984. This is like Rocky four and, and the height of like, you know, born in the, the USA, all the that hostage stuff. crisis. had just sure. happened. Right. I mean, um, so, and, and he was an authentic Iranian, you know, out there, looked the part um, and really in, embraced it. And so I do think, uh, you know, could could that have been somebody else in in that role um, losing to Hogan? Sure, but I do think it meant more that you had that contrast of Hogan as the flag waving babyface and and um, Sheik as the despicable Iranian. I, I mean, I, it was one of the matches, um, maybe singularly, that piqued my interest in, in wrestling as as a young kid, whenever I was six, seven years old. I remember watching that over and over and over again, and it was the intro to um the whatever wwf's tv uh weekly tv was that all american then no, no, yeah. or WWE championship wrestling and it was hogan pinning the sheik in madison square garden with thriller playing uh, and all the coliseum videos too the, the coliseum right. video intro video you know montage ended with that one that slow motion yeah. one two three uh, you know this was the moment this was like the moment the 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 BC and AD moment of wrestling yeah, and, yeah. and Iron Sheik was right there. You know, that's of yeah. course extremely valuable. And any uh, uh, Iron Sheik memories, Mike, that stand out? When, when I was a kid, uh, uh, the, the years that I lived in Lexington, Kentucky and in, in uh, the one of the territories there, uh, Ox Baker was building his monster heel, uh, Radamias and billing him as the only man to ever beat. Uh, I believe it was the only man to ever beat the Iron Sheik in a cage match. And I had never seen the Iron Sheik at that point, but I knew that that was a big deal. Uh, it sounded like a big deal to me, and I had some maybe peripheral awareness of him. 
um, that's my earliest memory of having having some some kind of idea that he was a, a big deal, uh, and and he was just this this monster heel that that if that that if he was defeated, then you knew somebody was pretty good or, or really bad. Um, it's one of these people though who you can look at in any given field. It's one of it's it's the kind of person you can say, well, that person did it all uh, from you know international experiences, very unique life experiences, uh, some drama with his with his personal family and some unfortunate things there, uh, some personal struggles, uh, and this fame that just kind of followed him around for better or for worse through the final decades of of his life. So definitely a character. Um, and you can't say uniquely American because he was originally from uh, Iran, but it is he he does, as the two of you have said, uh, occupy a very unique spot in American pop culture. Yeah. When, when they did the uh, the biography on him a few weeks ago, A&E, and I remember thinking at the time that, like, really, we're doing Iron Sheik one? I mean, it's... I, it, he didn't, to me, rise uh, in wrestling. He did, but in as much as these biographies are meant to cater to the mainstream, I didn't know what his resonance would be um, with with the mainstream. And I'm glad they did that because, I mean, it ended up being just a few weeks before uh, his passing. And I do think um, it really humanized him and and painted a more complete picture of who he was. You know, warts and all, and really a tragic figure in in a lot of ways. Um, I had never heard the full story about his daughter's murder, which is just absolutely heartbreaking. And it and it was um, a guy who, you know, I've heard you know apparently as as clean as as you know you could uh, you can imagine um, in in terms of a guy who really was kind of clean living, coming from uh, Iran and um, fell into the world of drugs and it really got the better of him. And it was a struggle, I think until the, probably his, his final years. So really sad, but you know, what, what you got from that biography, especially seeing his wife, they'd been married, I think they said 60 years, something like that. And his, his surviving kids, you know, the support system that he had around him and that they were all really pulling for him. And, and um, uh, it, it, you know, it was a nice image, um, unfortunately so close to his passing. But I think it really uh, humanized him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much, uh, Mike. Before uh, we sign off here, anything uh, you want to promote? Social media or anything else? I'm just happy to be here, guys, and and really uh, am so glad that people keep reading PWI. Um, I think that the magazine has really um, has really feels to me like it has has grown and improved in, in, in the last uh, several years and the way we've expanded coverage of certain things. I, I'm just grateful to be part of it. So uh, keep, keep reading PWI is what I want to say. Absolutely. And uh, Brian, I know you got a lot of uh, irons in the fire, as they say, uh, anything you want to promote here? Yeah, I got, I actually have two book signings happening next month, cool. which I'm excited about. So I, I, I should mention those They're for blood and fire the the auto the biography of the sheik and so i'm gonna be july i don't know when this is different than the iron sheik not the same guy (laughs) damn it al (laughs) i would get those interviews where halfway through i would go this guy thinks i wrote a book about the iron sheik how do i diplomatically one of them was on live radio and i just oh my god i had no choice but to sort of embarrass the guy because it was either him or me in that moment you know so i had it was live radio you know but got through it no but uh 
this is the original Sheik, the unbelievable real life story, in fact, of wrestling's original Sheik. I'm going to be uh, Saturday, July 1st at um, the the there's a Northeast wrestling show happening at the Jewett City Carnival in Jewett City, Connecticut. I know these, are, you know, if people are in the area, I'll be at that show Saturday, that Saturday night, July 1st with a table. Also, July 29th at the New England Fan Fest, which is really cool. I've been to it before. It's in Warwick, Rhode Island. There's going to be a lot of wrestling personalities there. And I've got a table there. I'll be signing books uh, Saturday, July 29th. Excellent. Is it, maybe this goes without saying, but did that uh, uh, kind of addendum uh, to the Sheik, now he is largely known as the original Sheik, was that because of the Iron Sheik? that 100%. Yeah. 100%. 100%. In fact, I got into it in detail in the book. In fact, I even in the book, I went on a detour where I sort of gave some significant background on Khosrow Vaziri because his story intersected with the original Sheik. It absolutely was a reaction. They didn't have a ton to do with each other. I know like they had they worked a couple of tag team matches on indies. They never worked against each other. The Iron Sheik had been to the sheik's home and had been they 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 had moved in some circles in fact when i met the sheik's family the original sheik recently they had a scrapbook and they actually had some pictures together i was very surprised to see so no no resentfulness hard feelings it was from the best i could tell there was in the beginning there was this sense of and i know it's hilarious because one of the iron sheiks he loved to call people jabronis but the original Sheik, one of his reactions was like, who is this jabroni that's stealing my gimmick? You know, because you got to remember, too, this is not to knock the Iron Sheik, but especially before uh, the national expansion and everything, he really he, he was a mid-card wrestler. He was he was a mid-card heel. He was a foreign heel that you could plug into any program and to get, you know, some heat going, get the baby face hot. But the but the original Sheik was like the biggest draw in the business at one point for years on end. He was like the heel version of Bruno Sammartino. I mean, yeah. he really was. So he's going like, who is this guy that is? But then he also had the pedigree of, well, original Sheik, Eddie Farhat, you're a Catholic guy from, right. from Lansing, Michigan. Yeah. This guy is from Iran. He was the bodyguard yeah. of the Shah. And he speaks Farsi and all this. So he had that going for him. It started out as resentment. But I think he came to respect and like him as somebody who who found this thing and he made it work for him. But unfortunately, it did have the reaction of kind of eclipsing the original Sheik's pop culture presence, especially in the wrestling world where he really got overshadowed. And I think to a certain degree, unfortunately, because the original Sheik did have some enemies in the business, I think it was intentional. I think there were certain people that didn't like him, Vern Gagne, Vince McMahon. There were certain people that had issues with the original Sheik, and I think they were more than happy to create this new Sheik character that they would call the Iron Sheik, and I think Vern Gagne actually gave him that name originally as a direct shot, as a way of kind of um, of, of burying the original Sheik. I do think there's something to that, unfortunately. Would, would they introduce um, the Sheik after the Iron Sheik when, when he would continue wrestling? Would he be introduced as the original Sheik? He would, and he wanted it that way. I mean, that was something that he did himself in marketing himself as a response to what was happening because he started noticing and people around him that they would mention, like Dave Brzezinski, his manager, would say it started happening where he would say, I'm the manager of the Sheik. And they would go, oh, the Iron Sheik. You know, that was like happening over and over. So they knew they had to respond 
So he was the one that insisted on being billed that way as the original Sheik, uh, just to stay to try to stay uh, as relevant as he could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Uh, all right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Mike, we'll have you back on before long, I hope. And uh, yeah. Brian, we'll do it again soon. Uh, thanks, everybody, and we'll uh, see you soon. Thanks.